Thank you so much. All right, and I think you might want your phone here. Okay, there you go. I didn't want to knock it off and wind up having to buy you a new one. That's what it was, so. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, worship team, for so much. I come up here and I just ruined the whole worship atmosphere. All right, so sorry about that, team. You guys have done a great job. But you know what? It's a great day today. It is going to be a good day because we're having baptism today. All right. All right, and so if you're here specifically because of Samantha's baptism, would you raise your hand or clap or something? Let me see, okay? Specifically, all right. Excellent. Ashley, you're not here just because of that, are you? So, all right, but here we go. All right, excellent. Good to see. Listen, baptism, that is one of the greatest things. Anytime we have baptism, that is one of the most awesome things we could do. Um, in fact, it's, you know, we come out of a Baptist tradition, you know, that even put it in the name there because it was such a big deal. But I want to say something, this, hey, I want to just tell you something, what I expect, and you know, when you're an interim pastor, you can get away with a little bit more than you can as the regular pastor, all right? So when Samantha gets baptized today, now Samantha gave her heart to Jesus a, a, a while back, all right? So we're just finally getting caught up to, to that, but, um, but even though it's a while back, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to be a part of church that treats a baptism like they're watching a golf game. Okay, that was good, okay? All right, when, when we do the baptism and, and Samantha goes under the water, it represents two things. Jesus dying for our sins, and it represents our old self dying. And when she comes up back in the water, it represents Jesus resurrected. We get to celebrate Easter all over again, and it celebrates the new life that Samantha has. And I want you guys to lose your ever-loving minds over that, because that is the great, that is what we are here for, seeing transformed lives, all right? So I just want to make sure you're just ready for that. It is okay to hoop and holler in church for something like that, all right? So just wanted to kind of keep that in mind, because people, this is our mission. Our purpose as, as Christians is to glorify God in everything we do. But our mission as a church is to make disciples. And f people coming to know Jesus and getting baptized is a part of that discipleship process. And so I just want you guys, want you to be excited about that and, uh, and, and just know that it's, it's here. So what we want. This is our mission. And speaking of our mission, all right, one of the most rough segues I've ever made right there, but speaking of our mission, we're going to continue looking today in the book of Acts, and the big shift that happened in the book of Acts. This is the turning point of the whole book of Acts. Now, let's kind of look at where we've been before. We've already seen, and I know you've, many of you heard this already, we've already seen that, that what happened is, the, you know, Jesus rises from the dead. He uh, gives his commission to his disciples. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit comes in power. They reach people from all over the Roman Empire at that point. Uh, who are Jewish people, the, the ministry is mainly to Jewish people at that point, and at that point you had to kind of become Jewish to become a real Christian, and we've seen slowly over the time that they expanded, expanded their ministry to the Samaritans, who are half Jews, and they expanded it to people who were called God-fearers, they weren't Jewish people, but they, they, they did everything but maybe the circumcision that needed to happen to, to become Jewish, and then we finally saw Cornelius, a God-fearer, becoming a Christian, and then we saw, we saw actually, um, a little bit more of some things happening as people went to Antioch and started the first Gentile church. And that's what we looked at last week in Acts chapter 11. Well, we skipped Acts 12. Now, 12 has got some good stuff in it, but, and you might want to read it. I just kind of let you know there's some great stuff in the book of Acts, chapter 12. There's a story of Peter being put in jail and the church praying for his release and the Holy Spirit releases him 
and then the church doesn't believe it when he shows up at prayer meeting they're like no that's not peter and so now we could probably use a sermon on prayer but 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 we're focusing on our mission so we're going to skip over that but there's a great story in there there's a great story about an angel so the angel touching peter and wake taking him out of out of jail there's also a great story about an angel touching herod who wasn't quite following and his touch of the angel was a little bit different so you want to skip that but we're going to verse 13 chapter 13 and we're gonna look at this big shift and it all has to do with the church in antioch so this is acts chapter 13 verses 1 through 3 it says now in the church at antioch there were prophets and teachers barnabas Simeon, who is called niger lucius of cyrene menean a close friend of herod the tetrarch and saul as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after they had fasted more and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them off. Guys, this is a big deal, all right? So we're going to look at it for a little bit. Let's pray first. Father, as we look into your word today, Father, just open our hearts to hear what you have to say, not just what you said about what happened then, but what we should do about it now, Father. And Father, I pray that every person in this room could be yielded right now to you to say, Lord, whatever shift you want to make in our lives, Father, we're willing to do it because we exist for your glory and we exist because of your grace. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm not going to bury the lead. I said that we're talking about the big shift, so I'm going to tell you right now in advance what the big shift was in Acts that we're going to see here. At this point in the book of Acts, we're seeing the shift from a focus on Peter to a focus on Paul. We've already seen him mentioned right here. He mentioned, he's known by Saul at this point. So the focus from Peter to Paul, we're moving from the church in Jerusalem, which was the traditional mother church there. That was the place where everything was going on. That's, that's where they all look back to, Jerusalem. We're shifting now to the church in Antioch, this new Gentile church. So we don't hear much about the Jerusalem church. We hear a little bit about it, but not a lot about the Jerusalem church after this. It's, it's shift here to Antioch and what they were doing. And we see this, the biggest shift, the shift from the ministry to the Jewish community only to ministry to the entire world. The whole world became the focus of the mission at this point. And this is where it happened with what we normally think of as the first mission trip ever. This is, and this is the first officially church-sanctioned mission trip. Now, at other points, there were people who went out on a mission, but they were mainly people that were going about their everyday lives, just as you, were, you do. They were people that, when they traveled, they went to new areas, they shared the message of Jesus to people. It's something they were doing as part of their everyday lives. But at this point, the Holy Spirit said, take these two guys, Barnabas and Saul, set them apart, because I have work for them to do. And so that's what we're going to focus on here for a little bit there as we look at this first missionary trip. And we're going to look at three things out of it. I don't always have three things in it, but, but I think this time it sort of works out really, really well. So the first thing we're going to look at in this passage is the people involved. And it tells us right there with the people, it mentions five key leaders in the church in Antioch. And he calls these people prophets and teachers. Now, guys, there have been many, many sermons preached and many, many books written trying to figure out exactly what a prophet meant and a teacher, just like with elders and deacons and bishops and pastors and things like that. And we don't have time to get into all that right now. <clears throat> all I want to say right now is that there were, there were leaders there, and they mentioned two of them at Antioch, and they called them prophets and teachers. I'm going to speak just a moment about those two things while we're, since we're in this passage. 
First, that idea of prophet. When you think of prophet today, what do you think of? You probably think of one of two things. You think about a guy walking around in sandals with a sign that says the end is near, or you think about somebody that's like a fortune teller kind of thing. That's what a lot of people think of as prophets. But in the Old Testament, in the Bible in general, prophecy was never about telling the future. Prophecy is not, when you have somebody talking about, I'm prophesying about something's going to happen in the future, that's not what prophecy is. They've got the wrong definition of prophet. Okay, because in the Old Testament, the prophet's main job was, he was the one who took God's message and gave it to the people. That's what prophecy is. It's God's message and giving it to the people. Now, sometimes God's message to the people was, if you don't do what God says, this is going to happen. And it would talk about something in the future. Wait, am I yelling? I am. I'm, I, I'm a little bit loud, aren't I? I'm sorry. I got excited. All right. And so, sorry. So nobody say amen, okay, because that will set me off today, all right? So, all right. Not like we get them a lot in this church, but don't. That would get me going here, okay? But I am excited about this because... Um, so, so, so sometimes it got to be that idea of if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen in the future. And there were a few times that God gave the prophet the idea of the future to validate the prophet. Because we see that in the book in, in uh, Elijah where he told King Ahab it's not going to rain for three years. And it was to validate what he's about to say. But, but telling the future has never been really that job of a prophet. In fact, there's even a passage in the Old Testament that says, that sometimes a false prophet may say to you, this is going to happen in the future, and if it comes true, that doesn't mean that I gave him that word. It just means he had a lucky guess, all right? That's all that, all that means at that point. So prophecy is not about that. So remember, prophecy is giving God's message to the people. And we look at this, did we already get to, oh, did we already get to the thing about foretelling and foretelling? Did you have it up there already? All right, yeah, so that's, go ahead and show that, all of that, all right? I want people to get that. Okay, so it's not foretelling the future, it's telling forth what God says. That's the idea. Okay, now we go back to the other slide here. Thanks. You guys are ahead of me there. So the prophet gave God's message to the people. Now, in the Bible, there's the reverse of this. There was somebody who took the people's message and sent it to God. Does anybody know? It's okay to say. Anybody know what, what that was? Anyone want to take a guess? Let's see if anybody's bold enough to try to say it in church. What do you think, James? The priest. Yeah, the man who's looking at the slides in advance right there, all right? like I do in the slides but since he is running the slides you know the the AV team could mess me up more than anybody right now so I'm going to do whatever they say sometimes all right so it was the priest so flip flip it up there slide guy all right so it's right there the priest and that was the idea so the prophet and the priest were like opposite sides of a coin there one taking God's message to the people and the other taking the people's message to God now here's why we don't have priests in our church now I know there's some there's some Christian churches like Episcopal Church, they still call them priests. It's a holdover. But we don't have, we don't call the pastor a priest here because we believe in something called the priesthood of the believer. Then the, the idea of the priesthood of the believer is we don't need anybody to take our message to, to, to the Father because we have Jesus and the Holy Spirit who does that for us. And, and I'm going to give you a verse that talks about that. It's in um, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses six, uh, 14 to 16. This is from the New American Standard. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Now stop right and look at that. In the Old Testament, they had a high priest that would go into the, the temple once every year and do on the Day of Atonement and, would, and would, 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 would ask God to forgive the people. We don't have that anymore. Jesus is our high priest. He's always taking our message to the Father. 
And it also says that the Holy Spirit, if you look in the book of Romans, it talks about the Holy Spirit, you know, helps interpret our prayers to God. Sometimes when you, you, you're so upset and you can't think of how to pray, and the Holy Spirit's like, okay, I get what you're saying. I see your heart. I know what you're trying to say, and it's communicating to us here. So that idea of the priesthood, of, well, let's keep going. Let's, I don't want to skip scripture here, okay? Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, our confession that Jesus is the Son of God. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So that's part of why that whole plan of why God chose to save us through Jesus coming. So it would also give us a hype. Now, the main thing of Jesus coming was to die on the cross for us. But by doing it as a, as a human, one of the things it also did is now we have this high priest who gets it, what it's like to be human. And it says, uh, therefore, because of this, therefore let us draw near or we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace to God's throne so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need so you don't need somebody else to go to God for you once you have Jesus in your life that's what we're symbolizing here the people who don't know Jesus they can't do that but once you have Jesus in your heart Christ becomes your high priest and you have the freedom to go to God at all times so we don't have priests anymore we still have prophets, but, okay, this, and this sounds a little bit like I'm, I'm, like I'm bragging here. I'm not. It just happens to be. Today, who is the person that we think of in most churches that's giving God's message to the people? It's usually the pastor, the preacher, okay? <clears throat> so uh, this is not to brag on me or anything. It just happens to be the, the role God's given me at this point. So that means that, that in a church, when we call a new pastor, we're calling the prophet for us. Now, that does not necessarily mean that that's his spiritual gift, okay? It does not necessarily mean not all pastors, not all preachers have the spiritual gift of prophecy, but they still can exercise that, just like not every teacher has the spiritual gift of teaching. We, we want to try to match those as best we can. Um, so, like, like if you say, I don't have the spiritual gift of mercy, does not give you freedom to not be merciful ever, all right? Um, and I'm not looking at anybody in particular here, but every church has a few like that, you know. Um, so what I'm saying is that that was the prophets basically were those people that gave God's message. And teachers were the same way. In fact, a teacher can fulfill the role of prophet just if teaching, if they're giving God's message to the people. Right on the other side of this wall right now, we've got Kidsville going on. We've got about 10 kids over there. And we have <clears throat> Michelle right now is giving them a Bible story. And Michelle is fulfilling the role of a prophet giving God's message to those kids at that point. So just saying, that's what, this, so that's what this was with the prophets there at this point. And teachers were doing the same thing. So that's a little sidebar there. That was a freebie, okay? <clears throat> you get that one for free. But um, now let's look at the people who were there. All right, so there were five people mentioned. The first one's Barnabas. Now Barnabas is listed first, and he was probably the key leader at the book of Antioch, and the church of Antioch. In fact, we looked at him last week. He was originally from Cyprus, which was right across the, the, the nearest island to where Antioch was. Antioch's up near Syria now. So if you hear about Aleppo, Syria, Antioch was just a few miles for, towards the coast from Aleppo, Syria. Give you an idea of where it was there. And so Barnabas was there. Uh, Barnabas was probably, um, uh, he was, well, we knew he was, uh, he was Jewish. In fact, we find out he was the first person in Acts chapter 4 to donate a piece of property to the church. And we know from that passage that he was uh, a Levite, so he had a strong connection to the temple. Um, so he was a Hellenistic Jew, and um, so that's Barnabas. The next one we know is Simeon, and we don't really know a whole lot about Simeon. He isn't readily identifiable in any other passage. Some people think that Simeon might have been the guy 
who had to carry the cross of Jesus. And he may well have been, but we don't know that for sure. So there's no reason to think that he was. There's no reason to think that he wasn't. You choose whichever one is there. But we do know this about Simeon, that Simeon was a Hellenist because he was, his, his name, um, Simeon, is a Jewish name. So he know he had a Jewish connection somewhere. But that nickname he had, Niger, was Greek for black. So he probably was a Greek Hellenist Jew who was probably from somewhere in Africa. It was dark-skinned. That's why he got the nickname, well, for lack of a better term, nickname Blackie, okay? That's what they called him, right? Simon, that's Simeon, that guy right there. So probably another Hellenistic Jew, probably from Africa at this point. Then there's Lucius. Well, we don't know about, much about him either. Some people have suggested, you might read somewhere, that people thought that was Luke. Uh, probably not, because Lucius is a different Greek name from Luke. They sound similar, but they're not the same. And, in, in, you know, in, in words that sound alike aren't necessarily alike, okay? Like submarine and tangerine, they sound alike, but very, very different, okay? So Luke and Lucius are different things. But we do know that he was from Cyrene, in Cyrene's in what is modern-day Libya. So he also was from Africa, in this case from North Africa. And you might remember from last week's message, the Hellenistic Jews from Cyrene were some of the first ones that went to preach to the Greeks that had no connection with Judaism. So Lucius might have been one of the original evangelists. Then we have Menean here, uh, Menean, and he's mentioned only here, but we do know from some other writings, we do know he's mentioned some other places, some non-biblical writings. And here's what we know, that he was raised with King Herod. All right, and this was the Herod who had John, uh, had John the Baptist beheaded. He was the Herod before him. Jesus had to appear at the end of the, uh, uh, at the, end of, uh, the Gospels where Jesus was on trial. He was that King Herod. And so this guy, Menean, as we know from the language there, that he was probably like uh, raised with Herod. He was probably like a foster brother. And what happened a lot of times, these aristocrats, these rich people that the kings, King Herod would have been, uh, if they had only a, only a couple of children, there was nobody his age, they might adopt somebody else to come play with, you know, to be that, all right? So, Landon, it would be like if, um, O'Reilly, sorry, I'm looking, I, too many, too many Goldsbergs, we got to get rid of some of them, okay? All right, no, I'm just kidding. Those who don't know, they're going to be leaving us in a little bit, but. But right, so it'd be like if you had a friend that was like, you know, it was his parents sort of adopted you to come over and play with him. So it was that kind of thing. So it's like a foster brother. But we know from this, he was an aristocrat, and probably his background was a Sadducee. And Sadducees were very different from the Pharisees. They were the aristocracy. They were the ones that didn't believe in angels or demons or life after death, that kind of thing. And they were the ones that were really, we hear about the Pharisees a lot in the Bible being on Jesus' case. The Sadducees were really the ones that were probably the most resistant to the message of Jesus. So here was a Sadducee who had become a leader in the church. And then we finally have Saul, who we know later as Paul. He became Paul, the, the, the one who wrote uh, a good portion of the New Testament and became the focus of his missionary journeys for the, for the rest of the book of Acts. So that makes now uh, five people, and look at the background here. There were three people with strong Jewish backgrounds. There were four who were probably Hellenistic Jews, there were two from Africa, two from Asia Minor, which modern-day Turkey, and one from Judea, and at least one Sadducee and at least one Pharisee. So it was quite a diverse group that were the leaders there already. That's what made this church a great place to start that first missionary journey from. It wasn't just one single culture. Now, it was all the same culture because it was, it was Greek, you know, that they, had to use, that they had to speak in Greek. 
but it's much of the same way Fresno Church is. As I look over, well, just in our congregation today, but as I also look over our church world, we've got people from all kinds of backgrounds, okay? We have, uh, we have Hispanics. We have people from South Asia, from Southeast Asia. We have people from a lot of different countries here. We have um, uh, uh, blacks, African-Americans. We've got, uh, well, at least one Armenian background here, okay? Yeah, that's you, Larry. All right, I thought I'd pick it. So all of you, are, well, I guess if you're, yeah, so... <clears throat> But he, he wears it like a proud badge, okay, so I'm saying. so. But we've, got, we've just got a huge uh, a, a background. We've got Filipinos. We've got all sorts of different uh, things. Chong, who led us today, is Hmong background, right? Okay, I'm just trying to remember everything at this point. I don't want to get it right because I don't want to make the worship leader mad. So, all right, so we just got a great background. Now, we're in English, and if people look at it, and I'm a, listen, I'm about as white as they come, all right? I had one of those ancestry DNA things come, and there is... Listen, I, I am so white, I should not even be allowed in a Taco Bell. I mean, that's how white I am, all right? And so if people are watching here, they might think this is a white, white, white church. You know, but it's not. We're, we happen to be in English because that's our common language. But we have a lot of different people and people serving in a lot of different ways that are, it's a wide culture. So in a lot of ways, we're already a little bit like the Antioch Church. I think this is a great thing. And by the way, if you, if I offend anybody with my talking about cultures, Email me later, Daryl at FresnoChurch.com. I want to know how I'm, as an old white guy, I know everything I say is, oh, if I said that old white guy thing again, didn't I? I'm not supposed to say that, but, but I know I always make some mistakes sometimes, but if I offend anybody, I apologize. The only point I wanted to make is the gospel is for everybody. And so we should have a variety of people in our church, a variety of leadership. Doesn't mean that we, that we can't have churches that are, are in Spanish for Spanish speakers. It doesn't mean if you speak English, but you like to go to a church that's in Spanish, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying the gospel shift here was to a church that was more multicultural and, and did a lot of things together. And that's work, guys. That's work. But we could do it. And I think that's something that I want to focus here in Fresno Church. We're a church ju not just for one culture. We are a church for the nations here. And that's who we need to be. And Fresno is a city for the nations that we have so many different cultures here. And, it, and as we move forward as a church and our mission, we need to involve as many people as possible. Yeah, it has to start with the leaders and a variety of leaders. And your new pastor will be a part of that. But it will take other people, not just your pastor, but teachers and servants in a lot of different ways, like mentioned here. People who may not even have an official position, but will still be doing teaching or ministering and those kinds of things. That's what puts us in the kind of church that will move forward into God's preferred future for us, that will help us be the church we need to be to fulfill the mission that God has for us. So that's why it's important to be praying for your pastor search team right now. All right, they're meeting regularly, and we're getting ready. We're probably about um, maybe two, three weeks the most, maybe away from starting to bring in some resumes. And it's going to take a lot of discernment, so be praying for them. By the way, I'll say, I know this announcement will probably come later, but if you did the congregational survey, or you want to do it online, today's the day we'd like it in if you could. Okay, I got a few more in today, but we want to get your opinion on stuff. But mainly, that pastor search team needs your prayers as we start looking for the leaders that are going to help us move us into the future, to join the leaders we have already, to, and to lead our leaders into leading our church and to be in the church for the future, like the Antioch Church. Now let's look at the second thing, the process. The process. There were two things the leaders did in preparation for the Holy Spirit to speak to them. It says, first, they served and they fasted. And it's right there in those first verses. 
in verse 2, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit uh, spoke to them. And it actually says the word there for worshiping is actually the word for liturgy. I know it's a word we don't use very often, but it meant the acts of service and the acts of, the acts of what the church was doing at that point. So they were worshiping, they were doing ministry, they were taking care of people, they were holding classes, they were telling people about Jesus. In other words, the same things that we wind up doing today. Uh, we do it differently than they did, but they still did it. But then they did this thing, fasting. And fasting sort of a weird thing. You don't hear many sermons on fasting. And I'll admit, I struggle with fast. I think the longest fast I've ever done is about three and a half days. I've gotten some friends that have done 40-day fast, and I'm like, more power to you and god bless you and i want to be your friend and pray for me but i i, I think three and a half days is the most i've ever made but when you think of fasting i don't want you i want to kind of expand that idea of fasting for you as we as we think about it nowhere in the bible does, does it say fasting has to be 24 hours nowhere in the bible does it say fasting has to be 40 days or anything like that we see examples we see paul fasted for three days when he became blind you know until until he until he gained his sight back and got baptized. By the way, Paul is also, three days is the longest amount we've ever heard of somebody waiting between becoming a Christian and getting baptized in the Bible because Paul was blind and waiting for the guy to come. So, so but anyway, as we, as we look at that, that's, that was a three-day fast. Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness. But there are other lengths of fast. So I just want to kind of think of this. As you think about a fast, I just want to expand your idea of that, that, um, that fasting could, could, could do a lot of different things. This is probably a holdover from their Jewish roots, probably. Uh, but, but think about times when um, maybe fasting from something other than food might be the thing. Food was an easy thing for them to fast for back then because food was more precious back then. More people lived with food insecurity back then than do now. And I know there are people today that live with food insecurity. We've got places even here in Fresno that are called food deserts where it's hard to find good quality food for people. And so I don't want to ever make light of that. But sometimes fasting from a particular food or fasting from a particular activity, the idea of a fast is that you are setting aside, you're denying something so that the time and energy you spilt, spent on that could be used to focus on God's message for you, some decision that, 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 that God wants you to make or some decision you're coming before God asking him to make, that kind of thing. And it also is a reminder, one of, the, one of the reasons food fast is a really good thing is because when I'm fasting food, that what happens at some point is I start to get hungry, and then I remember, oh, that's right, I'm fasting because I'm supposed to be spending more time praying. All right, so if I fast from, you know, like, if I fast from listening to, you know, to, to K-pop, well, you know what, how often I listen to K-pop? Like, once every two years, when I'm with, usually when I'm around junior high girls, um, okay, as a part of ministry, all right, that's, that sounded weird, didn't it? But, um, but so that would be a, all right, I can't, are you laughing at me, Lydia? Are you, all right, I'm, okay, I just need to get, maybe we need to pray here in a moment. Am I getting too far off? Am I ADD kicking in? Is that it? All right, I'm just saying, uh, fasting for something that you, that you don't really do a lot, that doesn't, that won't do much for you. But fasting from something that's important to you is a sacrificial way of being able to come to the point where you spend more time focused on God and can hear his voice better. That is something that it's for. So they fasted with that. But they, the second thing they did here, it says that they did something after the Holy Spirit spoke to them. So looking back at this, it says, 
The Holy Spirit spoke, spoke to him and said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. Verse 3, after they fasted again, they prayed. So there's three things in there that we should be doing. All right? We should be doing our work of ministry and worshiping. We should be praying. But twice it says we should be fasting. So I want to encourage you guys to think of some way that you might could fast. Or if you don't like the word fast, if you want to reserve fast for food, for food then think about a spiritual sacrifice, that you're sacrificing, giving up something, almost like we hear about it, like at Lent, but giving up something that's important to you to help you focus on what God wants you to do or wants our church to do up in the near future, all right? So just a few things to say there um, with that. And again, I didn't want to be very calloused about, about fasting. So, um, so I don't, and you don't need to be legalistic about it. So here's just some quick ideas, all right? Think about fasting. If you can't do 24 hours, think about like an eight-hour fast or a daytime fast or something like that um, or giving up something else. Just, just remember, giving up something temporarily so you can focus on prayer, repentance, study, or some other spiritual discipline. In fact, I know some other people that they've decided their fast is they give up one meal per week. And what they've done is they figured out like, like if it's somebody that, that goes out for lunch every week at work, and they say, okay, on Thursdays, I'm not going to go out for lunch. I'm going to fast at that time. And the $7 I only spend on lunch, I'm actually going to donate that to food bank or something like that. So it's a part of their, their fast process. So just something to think about, giving up TV, social media. I know, heavens, I said that, teenagers, but yes, you could do that. Or giving up sleep or some hobby or some, some activity. Um, though giving up exercise is not a good fast for anybody, okay, because that doesn't, all right, so... Nobody could get more spiritual from doing that. Now let's go to the last person so as we, so we wrap this up. We looked at the people, looked at the process here. Now let's look at the purpose. All right, so verse 3 says, they fasted, they prayed, they laid their hands on them. And by the way, a quick note there, we don't know whether that was the whole church laying their hands on them or just the leaders. It doesn't say. Sometimes the Bible doesn't give us a lot of instruction about this because God says there's freedom in how you want to do it. But we can be certain that this wasn't like an ordination service or conferring spiritual authority on them because Barnabas was probably the highest spiritual authority in the church. This is just a way of saying they have been set apart for something that God had called them to do. It was a way of symbolizing what had happened. By the way, setting apart. Do you guys know what the Bible word for setting apart is? It's the word holy. Holy, when something becomes holy, it's when it's set apart for a special purpose. And by the way, the word holy... In Greek is the same word for saint. As we are all saints, we've been set apart by God for a special purpose. But when we have like uh, earlier, like late last year, we sent, where did they go to? Uh, I can't remember the country where medical missions outreach went to. What Guyana, yes, thank you. Thank you. And so we had the people up here and we prayed over them. Very much similar to what they did there. So it's that same sort of process. When your new pastor comes, one of the things I want you to do is do an installation service where you're sort of symbolizing or recognizing that God has set him apart for a special service of leading this church. He's a part of the, he'll be a part of the church just like everybody else here. He'll be responsible for ministry just like everybody else here, but he's also responsible for leading and guiding the church into the future. And so that's the same kind of thing that they did here in this missionary purpose, or missionary setting apart. So again, it wasn't like giving them spiritual authority because Barnabas probably had the highest spiritual authority and Saul was just an up-and-comer. Saul hadn't proved himself yet. So, uh, so they did all this. They, they set them apart here. But why did they send them out? They sent them out because the Holy Spirit said so. 
And I think that's really important. As they're fasting, they can hear the Holy Spirit. And as a church, we always need to be listening for what is the Holy Spirit saying to us? What is the Holy Spirit wanting us to be a part of? What is he wanting us to do next as a church? And this one verse, verse 3, has set the standard for sending out missionaries for centuries now. Now, I never want to criticize a missionary who strikes out at his own. But seeing a missionary commissioning service, one of the greatest things I've ever seen, to see an organization that says we have been training and now we're ready to send out these missionaries as a part of what we're doing. Churches do that when they're planting a new church, in fact, is another way to do that. Now let's bring it back to Fresno Church. First, if you're a guest with us today, I want to let you know this church not only is in baptism important, but this church has a strong missions commitment. In fact, every penny that comes into our church that's not designated for something else, a part of that goes to support missionaries. We have a dozen missionaries that we support. And here's just a few of the countries that we help support. We've got 10 international missionaries that we support. Thailand, Cambodia, Peru, Siberia, Uruguay, Spain, Uganda. We've got a missionary that works in a thing called the 1040 window, which is between the latitudes of 10 degrees and, and 40 degrees around the equator that where a lot of the gospel has not gone, where, where some of the most unreached people groups are. So they call that the 1040 window. Uh, and then the medical missions outreach that we mentioned, that we've got uh, Gabe and Katie um, that, are, that are a part of that, and they help take our church out over. It's not their ministry exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a nationwide ministry, but go all around the world with that. We've got um, church plants in three other parts of our country that we're, that we're working with. And we've got five local missions that we support. The Fresno Mission, Rescue the Children, Paintbrush, which we'll be doing today, the Assisted Living Center, the Pregnancy Care Center, and Christ Helping Hands, which you're going to hear a little bit more at the, at the end of the, after the baptism today. So as we look at this church, now how many leaders did we say they had at the church? They mentioned how many? I'm giving you a hint right here, okay? All right, five of them. They sent away two. They sent out 40% of their leaders. Wow, most churches wouldn't be willing to do that, but they sent 40% of their leadership away on a new mission. And by best guess, we don't know for sure, but that first mission trip lasted somewhere between 18 months and three years. We don't know for sure. But at this point, the church in Antioch was becoming the next big thing in Christianity. They were becoming the flagship church for Christianity. But you know what? They didn't want to hold on to that to that uh, title. Right then, there were only two churches. There was the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church. And the Antioch church said, you know what? We don't want to just be the big church around here. We're going to send these guys out. We're going to start churches everywhere. All right? And yeah, some of them are going to grow bigger than us. Some of them are going to be more famous than us, maybe. Some of them are going to do things that we never dreamed about doing, and we're cool with that. Because we don't want to hold on to the title of being the flagship church. We want churches to spring up everywhere. They weren't worried about competition. They weren't worried about survival. They were worried about the mission that God put them on. And that's the same kind of thing we need to do at Fresno Church. It's easy to worry about survival. Um, probably sometime in the near future, I'm going to preach a sermon again on, on, on giving because um, we're looking at our giving and we need to be reminded of that. But sometimes you do that like, oh my gosh, they're just worried there's not going to be enough money to pay. No, it's not about survival. We give money because that's part of our mission. 
to do the things that we do. So don't panic over that when I talk about it. But we're not worried about survival. We're not worried about competition. We are concerned about the mission that God's given us. I've already mentioned that the Goldsboro family is going to be leaving us um, next month sometime. Um, I, keep, I keep praying that God will show them the error of their ways, but apparently... Apparently, they're taking that priesthood of the believer stuff seriously and believe God's spoken to them, all right? So, and we're going to be sorry to see you guys go. By the way, on the, on the 20th, we're having a, a picnic for them, sort of potluck picnic, all right? So, I uh, kind of want to remember, remember that. But, but we need to look at not, not that we're losing them. We're sending out, in certain sense, missionaries. You know, this family loves Jesus, at least most of them do, all right? And, uh, yeah, I'm looking at you, Lydia. You laughed at me earlier, so, all right, that... Um, that we, we want to take this as we're sending them out to bless another church somewhere. I mean, they're going to Michigan. I mean, I don't know. Are there any churches in Michigan now? I didn't know. All right. So we're going to send them out there to that place. But we need to look at that going that we're blessing somebody else by sending out one of our leadership families and to, and to do that work. And it means some of us are going to step up and do some more. Okay? So to, to be able to be involved. In fact, a few of them are in the worship team. So you know what? If you play guitar... Or keyboard, we might be looking for you, okay? Hunter's always look on the lookout for those guys. But as we do that, it helps us train up new leaders. So eventually we can send more of them out. And that'll be one of the things we ought to be looking for is looking, God, who, can, who in our church are people we can send out to bless another church, to do our own version of a missionary trip? That's how we become like the Antioch Church. We must always consider our purpose as a church when we make our decisions. This includes choosing new pastoral leadership, but also choosing of any leaders. And as we continue to focus on our vision for the future, remember, it's not about what's comfortable for us. It's not about what we had in the past that was so great. It's okay to enjoy the past. I enjoy it. In fact, another sidebar, I'll go a little bit long with this, but I know we got baptism coming up. But I just want to say, this wasn't in the sermon, but I'm just going to say this too. One of the things is, I've, I've no. For a church with, we, we've got a, a, quite a number of people my age and older. We don't sing a lot of hymns. That's not a complaint. That is not a, that is not a judgment either way, okay? But I'm going to bless the church with this. Though I've heard a few people saying like, you know, I like the old hymns or whatever. I've never heard a person complain. We're not doing it the way we did it 20 years ago. We're not singing those songs that were really important back then. Because it's not about what we're comfortable with. It's about the church that God's forming us into and who we need to be. And that is a wonderful thing. All right? All right? Listen, Hunter, I've been in churches where people complained that we sang the hymn, but it wasn't in the right key. Or they, or they changed the harmony on that one line right there, you know? And listen, this is not that church. This is a good church. This is a church pro poised to focus more on the mission because we're not about our comfort. We're not about what we like. We're not about what was good in the past. We're not about our survival. We're about the mission. And just as the book of Acts went through this big shift, I believe God has another big shift for us in the future as we call a new pastor. And so here's what I want you to do. First, I want you to pray for sure. All right? Pray for your leaders, both your current leaders and be praying for your future leader. And encourage you to be praying for that person regularly. Pray for our missionaries. By the way, I didn't list them here because we're going live over the air, and some of our missionaries are serving in places where... It might not be wise for them to be known, out, to be outed as a missionary. But if you come on Wednesday night, we print a list of our missionaries at our prayer meeting at 630. And so 
you can pick that or you can call the church and ask for it we just don't want it published over like facebook or anything like that okay it's something we just keep in print right here but pray for our missionaries and pray for our future involvement in mission work all right more mission trips that we might be taking more things that we might more churches we might help start get get planted that kind of thing then third consider how you might fast whether it's from food or whatever i think we do need to have a time of fasting as we're getting ready to call a new pastor and i want to encourage you to be thinking now what could i give up for a period of time whether it's a few hours whether it's a few days whatever it might be that might help you focus on the mission that god has for you and god has for our church together and then be praying about the purpose of our church to focus on that that god remind us keep always in front of us what is the purpose of our church why are we here you gave Antioch a purpose here. You've got Fresno Church here for a purpose. And trust me, if Fresno Church wasn't here for a purpose, I'd encourage Fresno Church to go away. But it is here for a purpose. And God has a plan for us of the future. And it's our job right now to be seeking it, praying for it, focusing on it. And then when he reveals it, let's do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story about Antioch. Father, thank you for the just the, the wonderful things that happened. The mission trip, Father. Thank you for the, just the, so many great things you put in Acts. You tell us about your church and about your people. And Father, thank you that you've let us be a part of that here and now today. And Father, today as we worship, as we focus on your son Jesus, as we celebrate what you've done in our lives, Father, we also ask that your spirit would Open up our hearts and our minds to what your future is for us here at the church. As we're looking as for this new pastor, as we're looking as individuals of where we're going to serve, Father, remind everyone here today that they are not here by accident, that your Holy Spirit has been waiting for them right here this whole week, ready to speak to us, ready to guide us, and ready to take us 